Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. But before we read God's word, let us pray together. Holy One, giver of all light, lift up our hearts and minds to Christ Jesus, the morning star that never fades. By the light of your Holy Spirit, reveal to us your saving word and lead us to offer our lives to you in service and in love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Good morning, Village Church. First of all, thank you so much to Roger and Melanie and all of the staff team here for hosting me as a guest preacher this morning. And I also thank my family and this church family because it is because of you all that I can't recall a single day in my life that I didn't know that Jesus loves me. That is a great gift. So I feel deeply honored and grateful to be here, but I also have to confess today that I am used to preaching in a very small church to a small crowd of about 50 people. So I'm used to being able to see everyone who's nodding off or not paying attention, and you all can hide pretty easily. Um, I'm also not used to looking down and up in the sermon. So if I neglect either the lower level or the balcony, you can just shoot me a paper airplane and get my attention. (laughs) Would you please pray with me? Let your good news come, Lord, not only in word, but in power, by the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. The year was 1948. The setting a new post-war suburb somewhere in the heartland. A young preacher knocked on the door of a newly built suburban home, and a young wife and mother answered the door. This man impressed her, she later said, with his enthusiasm and sincerity. He said that he was starting a new church nearby, and the presbytery had bought the land. Would she like to come? That young man, that earnest preacher, was Dr. Bob Manili, 
and that young wife and mother was my paternal grandmother, Claire. And later on, she did, in fact, tell her husband, Charles, about this church, and they checked it out, and they joined soon after. And that church that the earnest young minister built, well, here we are. It was only a few years after that that my mother's parents, Annabelle and Max, also joined this church. It became part of the fabric of our family's faith of their children and their children's children. And it was only just last night that I heard my parents say that it was actually a part of their dating life as a couple in high school to come and sit in this church together on Sunday mornings. So it is true to say that even before I was born, this church was a part of me. The churches of our childhoods hold so many memories, don't they? Standing in this space today with faces who have known me forever and other faces brand new. For me, it all seems as though it is bathed in a kind of hazy, movie quality kind of light. It is here in this chancel that I was baptized and confirmed and married. It is here in this chancel that I got the privilege of speaking at the wedding of my brother Joe and his wife Sally. It is here in this chancel that my niece Isla sings in the choir and I get to watch videos of it on my phone. It is here that at 16 I preached a Youth Sunday sermon, not only filled with fear and trembling, but also a scraped up face because I had just gotten my driver's license and I had just had my first driving accident. And in all of my recurring pastor anxiety dreams, and fellow clergy know what these are like, you know, those dreams where you stand up in the pulpit and you have absolutely nothing to say and no notes? Well, it is this pulpit that my dreams consist of when I have that nightmare. No other pulpits of churches I've actually worked in. It's this pulpit. So you can imagine that I felt a bit nervous to say yes when Tom R. asked me almost a year ago if I would come back to guest preach as a part of the homecoming celebration of this church's 75th anniversary. Not only was I worried that the stuff of my dreams might happen and I might be struck mute, but I thought I might either faint or have a heart attack or a bolt of lightning might strike me dead. After all, this is where I grew up hearing Dr. Bob preach, and I remember thinking, that could never be me. But it was a number of years later that I also, for the first time, heard a young woman preach, Reverend Sue Dolquist, and suddenly I thought, hmm, why not me? Up in that balcony is where my family and I sat for so many Sundays, and like many of your children, I would draw pictures on the bulletin and count down the minutes until we could get to Topsy's. It is also up there in the balcony where our teacher, Gary Wan, led us on a scavenger hunt looking for clues throughout the church, and it culminated with the treasure in a box buried underneath one of those pews. And I recall sitting on the steps that were covered in that seafoam green carpet. Anybody remember that? And as he unpacked the box, there was a very anticlimactic treasure inside. 
It was a little pipe cleaner cross. But Gary Wan, the masterful storyteller that he was, brought the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection into full technicolor detail. So for me, it is hard to separate my identity as a Christian, let alone my call as a pastor, from this place and these people and those memories. How would I know the Bible to be such an endlessly fascinating book if it were not for my dad and mom teaching my Sunday school class, complete with a homemade tent for Abraham, built by wooden two-by-fours and old fabric, and piles of sand inside, and even Esau's lentil soup? How would I know the creativity and imagination of the Christian life without those Advent workshops that I would count down the days to so that I could make crafts leading up to Christmas? And do you remember those puppet shows that happened right here in the chancel that could rival any Sesame Street show? How would I know that the journey of following Christ is one of endless adventure and discovery if it weren't for Darren and Andy and Vic leading us on those wilderness trips out west, canoeing through the boundary waters with Elizabeth Wallace and the junior high youth group? And how would I know the spirit of service and stretching beyond our boundaries had I not been invited to go on mission trips, so many trips, including L.A., Chicago, and the D.R.? We were invited as youth not just to be participants in faith, but to be leaders in it. Incidentally, the only time I ever remember being grounded as a teenager, my parents debate this, by the way, was after breaking curfew and staying out too late one night at Bible study. (laughs) This is a true story. So parents, if you want your kid to grow up and be a minister, ground them from going to Bible study. There are so many more memories that I could share. But how would I know the power of faith as a witness against injustice if I hadn't heard Dr. Bob and Tom R. and others in this church tackle pressing issues of racism, discrimination, and heterosexism, sometimes at great cost? They modeled to me the courage that ministry sometimes requires and what it means to stand up for the welcome of Christ that you believe in. When I think about the lifeline that this church has been for me, the very architecture of my spiritual life was built in this family of faith. But part of why I share this story is because if you are here today, then this is your story too. Even if this is your first time worshiping here, or even if you worship somewhere else, I share these memories because I want you to know that you are a part of this legacy, and that Christian worshiping communities all over the world have this ripple effect on their children and their children's children, spreading the message of God's love. It is a powerful thing. And so, yes, while this sermon is something of a love letter to village— in honor of your 75th anniversary, 
It is also true that because of my time here and elsewhere, I know that no congregation or minister is perfect. Like any church, misunderstandings happen, and if you stick around long enough, you might find yourself in one. But at their best, I believe that a church like this can be a laboratory of love, a place where people can disagree and react and apologize and later repair, a place where people can serve alongside each other across political and theological lines, where families can pass on the faith from generation to generation in a way that nothing else can. And now, on this Epiphany Sunday, here we are at the starting block of a new year. I recently learned that in church history, celebrations of Epiphany are recorded more often and earlier even than celebrations of Christmas. Yet it is a holiday that we know surprisingly little about. Melanie shared with us already that epiphany is sometimes used to describe a sudden understanding or discovery, an aha moment of sorts. In the Christian calendar, it comes from the Greek word epiphania, meaning a shining forth, an appearance or a manifestation of something great. Epiphany marks the time after Jesus' birth when he was not only recognized by his parents and the angels and the shepherds, but now the Gentiles as well. And so these magi, they study the stars, and they risk their lives against King Herod to come and offer their gifts to the newborn king. They are guided by a star, and that is why later in the service you will be welcome to let one of these star words choose you. And who knows, it might end up being a little epiphany of sorts, a kind of shining forth as to what God is calling you to in this new year ahead. But first, we have this peculiar text from Isaiah. You may have noticed there are a few tie-ins to Matthew's gospel, the gifts of frankincense and gold, the camels and the kings. And there is this very special light. But in addition to the light, Isaiah also mentions a thick darkness. And the darkness comes because this oracle from the prophet poet Isaiah is written about 600 BCE, and it's after a 70-year period of captivity for these Jewish exiles. They have been taken away from their homeland in Jerusalem and forced to be in Babylon. And finally, they get to re-enter their homeland, but it is nothing like what they remember. The buildings are desecrated. The leaders have become corrupt. Their places of worship are in a shambles, and their economic prospects are bleak at best. The darkness they feel is the question of how will they ever rebuild? How will things ever be the way that they were? Malcolm Sinclair writes, We too no thick darkness. It comes with feeling small and helpless. It comes when our power to protect and champion is lost. It comes when there is nothing left to say beyond simple guttural phrases that get us from here to there. But according to John's gospel, into even the thickest darkness, There is a light of Christ that shines, and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. 
So these words of the poet-prophet Isaiah burst forth like newfound crocuses in the earliest days of spring. He speaks of light and dawn and brightness. He talks about radiance. He talks about rising up and shining forth. But I wonder, how would these words have landed with the Israelites as they stared at their homeland in ruins? How do these words land for you if you've arrived this morning feeling like you're in your own post-holiday fog? I wonder if these words about light would ring hopeful or impossible to bear. Now, raise your hand if you have a dog at home. Anybody in this place? All right, well, I don't know about you and your dog, but my little dog, Ollie, and I are both sun chasers. And what I mean by that is we live in a more northern climate nestled between the Catskill Mountains, and the light comes in in the winter very slanted and very occasional, and only in certain corners of the house. And so sometimes, when I can't find my dog, Ollie, I look around the house, and I know where I'll catch him. He's right there, sprawled out in that perfect angle of light. That little beam where he can get warm, where he can enjoy a little vitamin D. He doesn't have to do anything to create the light. He just gets to rest in it. That's the kind of light that Isaiah promises today. He says the light is coming, and it is your light, and you don't have to generate it. You just get to rest in it. And then to rise up and shine it forth. One of the things Isaiah envisions is a day when people from afar will bring their gifts to God in Jerusalem, to the glory of this light. And later Christians, of course, have connected this passage to the three gifts of the wise men, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So as I thought about Village's 75th anniversary, I thought, how would I sum up the three gifts that this church has given to me as I've experienced it? And perhaps you have too. This list is far from exhaustive, but I think it contains some of the things that make this place so special. And so that we can remember these together, the acronym is BCE, like before Common Era, because we're reading out of the Hebrew Bible text today. The B stands for belonging. For 75 years, and for so many people, Village Church has represented a rare experience of belonging where you don't have to look a certain way or fit a certain mold or believe exactly what everybody else believes or vote in the same way that everyone votes, where kids can be themselves beyond the narratives at school of popularity and competition and achievement. Village, for me, has been a place where I have felt belonging. It is also a place that seeks to be one of radical hospitality and welcome so that all might belong, even those who might not currently think that they would fit in. Letter B is belonging. The letter C is curiosity, but I also could have picked creativity or community. I pick curiosity because Village is a congregation that seeks to lifelong learn, to be lifelong learners, to ask hard questions, to encourage their children and youth to be inquisitive and not accept shallow answers in the faith. 
Village is a church that strives to have hard conversations and do bold new things together. And so that curiosity and critical thinking are a huge gift that this church brings to the world. And lastly, the letter E is engagement, an expansive engagement beyond the walls of this church and into the world and what God's mission is in that world. From the beginning, Village Church, as you know, has been a mission church on Mission Road and beyond. It is a place where you have engaged with your neighbors in Front Porch Alliance and Operation Breakthrough, in the DR, in Habitat Builds, in communities small and large. You have engaged as Stephen ministers with people who are feeling alone, and you have supported the Christian education of the children. So that expansive engagement is something that I value, and I believe you do too. And even if you are new here, that belonging, curiosity, and engagement are part of what you inherit joining or even visiting this church. You get to bring your own fresh gifts to that as well. But just like our actual homes and families, a church doesn't stay the same. When I come back, village isn't just exactly what it was as I remembered it. A way that a church stays vital for 75 years and beyond is to continue asking new questions, to step outside of comfort zones, and to invite in new people and ideas. The curious and beautiful thing about God's light is that it is a reflective light. When you think about precious metals or shiny stones, the beams of light bounce off and then reflect out. And so it is with God's love for us. Speaking of jewels, I wonder if any of you know what the special gift is for a 75th wedding anniversary. Has anyone gotten that far? Okay, you'd have to get married really young and stay alive well into your 90s. So I don't know anyone who's celebrated the 75th. But guess what I found out? The gift is a diamond. So this is your diamond anniversary church. And a diamond is the most reflective rock of all. I think it seems fitting for Epiphany. You all know the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, How I wonder what you are up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky. And now we know what those stars are, those gaseous balls of helium and hydrogen. We know the scientific definition of them. And if you know something about stars, you also know it's the stuff that you and I are made of. You know I couldn't pastor a church in Woodstock, New York if I didn't know the lyrics, we are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Joni Mitchell paints a vision of bombers in the sky turning to butterflies and the feeling of being a cog in the wheel of something new that's turning. That something new is what we still long for, the promised new day of God's peace and possibility, where Jesus' way of hope and healing and justice, his peace, forgiveness, and freedom isn't just something hinted at. It is a world made manifest. So I want to leave you as I close with one little gift 
that you can take with you today. It is a little gift that has helped me through many a time of thickest darkness. And it is something that reminds me of the peace that the wise men were seeking when they followed that star, that first epiphany. It is a simple prayer, and I invite you to join me in it. You can place your hands on your heart or even flip your palms up. And the prayer is simply this, to inhale Jesus and exhale peace. To breathe in Jesus and exhale peace. To inhale Jesus and exhale peace. This is a simple breath prayer that has carried me through turbulent airplane flights, anxious doctor's office waiting rooms, hospital lobbies, difficult board meetings, hard conversations, and yes, even stepping into this pulpit today. I don't know later what your star word will say. I don't know how that word will choose you and steer you and give you peace in the coming year. But I do know that this church has been a celestial constellation of belonging and curiosity and expansive engagement for 75 years. And my prayer is that you will go on shining forth for many, many more. So friends, as you enter this diamond anniversary year, may you continue to arise and give light to the love of God now and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.